chapter 11. We're on Luke chapter 11. Thy kingdom come is my sermon. You might have guessed it would have something to do with the kingdom of God, with the hymns that we've been singing, and me reading to you Psalm 2 about the sovereignty of God. And God saying, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. So we're looking at thy kingdom come. Luke chapter 11. Last week, as we continued with our series in Luke's Gospel, we started a mini-series within a series when we began to look at what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Let's have a look at it now. We'll look at uh, the Lord's Prayer, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's a prayer that's familiar to you, I'm sure. Our consideration this morning will be the words, just three words, thy kingdom come. We see that in verse 2 there, thy kingdom come. First of all, God is the supreme ruler of all things. God is the supreme ruler of all things, of everything. An understanding of what the kingdom of God is and when it is not only differs between different Christian denominations but also within individual church fellowships. I'm certain that even within this church we do not all share the same views concerning the kingdom of God. A good start would be to consider what the kingdom of God is. It refers to dominion, absolute power and rule. And without even looking at our Bibles, we don't have to open our Bibles. Anyone with an ounce of intelligence ought to be able to see, to figure out that God who is the creator of all things, has always had absolute power and authority over all things. You don't have to be a genius to work that one out. Unless, of course, you are a fool, who someone who says in your heart, there is no God. Otherwise, anyone, as I say, with an ounce of intelligence, ought to be able to figure out that God has absolute power over everything. And that is, no great surprise, what the Bible tells us. For example, 
One of my favourite Bible passages can be found tucked away in the Old Testament in 1 Chronicles. That book of the Bible with all those genealogies. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. In verses 11 and 12, King David, who most certainly was not talking about his own kingdom or any other earthly kingdom, but rather he was talking about the kingdom of God, said, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the earth, in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honour come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. I put a bit of emphasis on a few of those words there. And thou reignest over all. David said those words about a thousand years before the Lord Jesus Christ came down from heaven to save sinners. Even back in David's day, God ruled supremely as indeed he has always ruled supremely and he always will rule supremely. There never was a day when God did not reign over all things. Doubts about the totality of God's rule might be entertained in minds when one considers the state of this world, for example, when one considers the scale, the magnitude of the rebellion against God in this world. But even then, just look at what David said in Psalm 2. He said, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder, and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. In other words, the Lord laughs rebellious people and their rulers to scorn. Anyone who's got a clue about what's going on in the world today knows that right to the very highest levels, the most powerful people in the world gather together in rebellion against God who appointed them to their positions of power. And people gather together and they wave their puny fists towards heaven as they imagine that they break free from God. And they say, there is no God. And God laughs them to scorn. That's in Psalm 2, the Psalm of David, a thousand years 
before Christ came into the world 3,000 years ago. Also, in Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 22 through to 26, listen to this. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof, that's us, the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretcheth out, this is God now, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing, he maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted, yea, they shall not be sown, yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth, and he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who have created these things, that bringeth out their hosts by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Did you hear that? The inhabitants of the world are like grasshoppers and the Lord brings the princes of the world to nothing. The children of God have every reason to rejoice as they read these Bible passages about the power of God, his supremacy over all things. I love to read passages like that. However, if you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour and God is not your heavenly father, you have every reason to despair. And that is because it is appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. When you have your funeral service, wherever it may be, you will have already appeared before the one whom you must give an account to. God reigns supremely in this world, despite the fact that man has been in rebellion against him ever since sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden. And also, God reigns supremely, despite the fact that there is a presence of demons in the world, which is no doubt far greater than any of us imagine. For example, in our studies in Luke's Gospel, we've already seen the reality of the presence of demons in the world in the the, the Lord Jesus Christ. He cast out demons and he gave his apostles the power to cast out demons. He didn't do that for nothing. As for that old serpent called the devil and Satan, As a roaring lion, he walks about, walks about this world, seeking whom he may devour. Even so, the very fact that demons were cast out of people by the power of the incarnate Son of God, and the very fact that the book of Revelation tells us that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again in judgment at the end of the world, 
the devil will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, that reinforces the fact that God is sovereign over everything, despite man's rebellion and despite all the demonic activity in the world. Secondly, God has a kingdom or reign of grace. What is being referred to in Luke chapter 11 verse 2 where Jesus says, Thy kingdom come is God's sovereign rule by his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a reign of gospel grace and power in accordance with the good pleasure of God who is sovereign over all things. But it is a reign of gospel grace and power. The kingdom of grace is spoken of in various places. We'll get there one day in our series if Jesus doesn't come first. But in Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, the Pharisees, those religious Jews, asked Jesus when the kingdom of God should come. And Jesus said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you, or the kingdom of God is among you. When shall the kingdom come? The kingdom is here, it's among you. Not in you. Jesus wasn't saying it was in those Pharisees, but it was among them. The people to whom the grace and power of God extend in his kingdom of grace are not so much subjects or citizens of that kingdom. They are themselves kings. With the Lord Jesus Christ being the king of kings. They, and I'm talking about Christians here, they are the elect of God chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. There we see the sovereignty of God again. The the fact that they, Christians, are chosen before the foundation of the world, that they should be holy and without blame before God in love. They are members of the one true church of which Jesus is head, and they are governed by his grace and by his power. Revelation chapter 1 verses 4 through to 6 that shed light on the exalted status of all who are in Christ having trusted in him as their saviour from sin. In those verses the apostle John said John to the seven churches which are in Asia grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the king of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and have made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Concerning those words where we read that Jesus have made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, 
The Bible commentator John Gill explains, This kingship of all Christ's children is but one case of the general principle that by faith in Jesus Christ, we are so united with him as that where he is and what he is, there and that we shall be also. He has become like us that we might become like him. That is the highly exalted position that Christians have in Christ. Always in Christ. Outside of Christ is another matter altogether. As to how we are united to the Lord Jesus Christ in his kingdom, the Apostle Paul explains that God have delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us or transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins I don't know how many times I've read that verse in the Bible it's it's again you, you don't only get anything out of this if you are a Christian God have delivered us delivered you dear Christian from the power of darkness, from the devil's dark domain, and have transferred you into the kingdom of his dear son, from darkness into the kingdom of Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, all our sins, past, present and future. We're cleansed and purified by that precious blood of Christ. And so it is that day by day, God, who works out all things according to his eternal decree and his good pleasure, is drawing helpless, hopeless sinners to his dear king, uh, to his dear son and into the kingdom of his dear son. As people who are in Christ, all you dear Christians are part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, a special people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into the marvellous light. As such... Nothing is to be gained by thinking of the kingdom of God in the same way that you might think of earthly kingdoms, which are at best faint shadows of the heavenly kingdom. Dear Christian, consider that lovely hymn that has a chorus with the words, Oh, the love that sought me, oh, the blood that bought me, oh, the grace that brought me to the fold. Wondrous grace that brought me to the fold. Those words, wondrous grace that brought me to the fold, refer to God graciously delivering you from the power of darkness and transferring you into the kingdom of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom you have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of your sins. So, when you pray, thy kingdom come you're praying for God to add to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ such as should be saved 
that his grace and power would reign in their hearts and in their born-again lives to the glory of God who called them out of darkness. When you do that, you can be sure that you're praying scripturally and with the knowledge and the confidence that God is indeed doing what you have prayed. Do you get that? Can you see, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, for example, or when you when you pray scripturally, you are praying the will of God. There's nothing wrong with you praying for various other things, but just praying scripture, even reciting the scriptures in your prayer, praying the word of God. God has given us his word and we pray it back to him. His glorious word, his uh, infallible, inerrant word. When you pray biblically, you know that you are praying inerrantly. And when you pray thy kingdom come, again, you know that God will answer that prayer because his kingdom is coming and will come. Next, God has a kingdom of glory. In Matthew chapter 25, the Lord Jesus Christ sets the scene of what will most certainly happen when he comes again in judgment. And when he, when that happens, when he brings this world to an end. It's worth turning, keep your finger, or do you, do you need to? You don't really need to keep your finger in Luke chapter 11. Just turn to Matthew chapter 25. This is so revealing. We're, we're told in very clear language by Jesus himself what will happen when he comes again in judgment, when the king comes again in judgment. I want, when I read this, I want you to read this and believe it. Don't just dismiss it. It's the word of God. And you would have to be the biggest fool uh, around to just ignore this or dismiss it. Okay, I'm going to read chapter 25 from verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations, all people, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king, now Jesus is referring to himself as the king, he's sitting on his throne. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. If we drop down a little bit. 
to verse 41, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, unto everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So you've got the ones on the, the sheep on the right hand who inherit the kingdom, prepared from them, for them, from the foundation of the world. They're the sheep on the right. But then the ones on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then in the last verse in chapter 25, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment. They're the ones on the left. But the righteous, the ones on the right, who have inherited the kingdom, they go away into ever eternal life, life eternal. So, what we read of there in Matthew chapter 25, it is a kingdom of glory in which sin and death have been abolished. And it is a kingdom in which the elect of God are with the Lord forevermore. How wonderful that is. In conclusion, when we who are already trusting in the King of Kings pray, Thy kingdom come, we're praying for King Jesus to dwell and to reign by faith in the hearts of who? In the hearts of our loved ones, our friends and our enemies. They having shown repentance towards God and faith in Jesus, believing that Jesus came down from heavenly glory and lived a sinlessly perfect life on their behalf and paid the penalty for their sins when he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, where he was crowned with thorns. But also, when ye pray thy kingdom come, we do so as people who, according to the promise of God, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. We pray as people who are looking forward to King Jesus coming again in power and in glory, knowing that when he comes again and when he brings an end to this sad old world, there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for he shall be with his people and he will wipe away the tears from their eyes. Am I speaking to someone in here? Is it not time that you bowed the knee before King Jesus? Saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Amen.